Holidays are a time defined by who we are together. To help foster this feeling, we'll be using a tool today called Polled Everywhere. If you've been here for a while, then you may be used to it. If this is your first time using it, you can just follow the instructions on the screen. This tool allows you to submit your thoughts and questions anonymously, and you can be a part of this time today. What is the weirdest Christmas tradition or dish you have encountered? You may begin entering your thoughts now. Growing up, cranberry sauce came in a can. It had ridges. It contained no distinguishable fruit pieces. It was served in slices. On the big holidays, we ate off of paper plates and watched sports. And then I went to college. And because I worked with the football team, we didn't always get to go home for Thanksgiving. But the school wanted to make up for us not having the opportunity to go home and be with family. So first, they compensated us financially. All the student athletes and staff would receive a stipend. I missed my mom. And I'm not going to say but. And this broke college student really enjoyed that extra income. Merry Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Secondly, they tried to provide a meal for all of us. The first year, they loaded all of us on the bus and, and shipped us to this fancy hotel for Thanksgiving lunch. Now, this sounded like a plan that I could get behind. But as I went through the line, things got weird. The cornbread dressing had chestnuts in it. And the cranberry sauce had fruit and walnuts and, and had to be spooned onto your plate. It, it was this weird, bright red colored, uh, kind of like the color of cranberry juice. They had fish, but it wasn't fried. They said that it was cold smoked salmon, but it looked raw. <laughs> weird. Nothing about the meal seemed to remind me of what I had come to think about when it came to the holidays, except for maybe the ham. And many of the players and staff coming from backgrounds like me complained about the meal. And the school never tried to organize another Thanksgiving meal for us again. We never had another collective team Thanksgiving meal again. Oh, we still had games over Thanksgiving break. We were just left to figure out Thanksgiving lunch on our own. What is the weirdest Christmas tradition or dish that you've encountered? Let's see what you've entered. having problems here. Yeah, okay. No thanks. All right. We'll have to go to another tool because my iPad decided to die right then. There you go. Somebody said mac and cheese with raisins in it. (laughs) 
See, that's why the iPad died right there. It's because y'all was putting raisins in mac and cheese. Bro, go get the, ho- go get the oil. I'm going to lay hands on somebody. Go get the oil. I cannot believe this. Polar bear plunge. I'm from Texas, and um, the only polar bear I like is the shakes that come at the gas station. That's the only polar bear I like. Mistletoe, I never understood where it came from. I, I don't know either. Um, I, I think it's just an excuse. Um, the Christmas pickle. I don't know if I should read that one. Fruit, fruit cake. That probably reminded you a lot of the um, cranberry sauce that I was, I was mentioning here. Dressing with raisins? Come Okay, let me tell you something. Let's, let's just... Raisins go in oatmeal. In cookies. Other than that, raisins are a snack for kids. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm finding in second holiday meals... Three and 16, do not put raisins in anything other than cookies. I don't need it in cakes. I don't need it in, no, oatmeal and oatmeal raisin cookies. My chocolate chip cookies don't need raisins in it, okay? A couple more here, a couple more here. Multiple y'all put dra- raisins in. Where are y'all? Where are these people at? You Yule cat? What is a Yule cat? That better be a snowmobile or like a four wheeler or something like that. That is what that better be, and it's just short for something with four doors or four wheels. Oh, so I see somebody put something on here. When my friends thought it was so strange, my aunt made tamales. It's just because they haven't been blessed to go to Texas. That is it. That is just it right there. That is somebody who is uninformed of the gospel, and we will help them out. But, I mean, come on now. Okay, one more, one more. See, somebody said, watching Star Wars in the days up to Christmas Day, if you would have said Die Hard or Friday After Next, I would have (laughs) understood. Two totally good Christmas movies. But Star Wars, um, no. Okay. So just a couple of things that you've seen. As in with cornbread dressing with the raisins in it. How could something that started so well, something that has such great potential, go so wrong? Oh, Jesus be offense. Was was I wrong for having standards? Were they wrong for overcomplicating holiday 
traditional dishes? Was the university wrong for no longer hosting a meal? And how should we go forward? But that's the world that we live in today. We live in a world where we all have standards and we are not afraid to let someone know when they've missed it. We live in a world obsessed with justice, accountability and grace, while not agreeing upon the definition and application of those terms. As Christians, we serve a God of justice, a savior who is the prince of peace and celebrate multiple holidays built around the gift of grace. But things have gotten weird. Biblically, peace means the full flourishing of everything, fully flourishing in every area of life. To be flourishing means to be webbed or knit together. It means to be interdependent. To do justice means to pull people and things that are falling out of that tight knit fabric of God back into it. In other words, it means helping those not flourishing, begin to flourish. That means weaving your life into theirs. We find peace when we become a part of God's work to bring justice or flourishing to areas that have traditionally gone without it. Accountability means to be responsible. Grace is unmerited favor, but it's also divine enablement. Let me explain. Because Jesus died on the cross and arose three days later, we have the undeserved favor of our heavenly father. Yes, we should be dead. But Romans five and eight says that Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners. The other part is that we can endure things that should do us in because we have the father's grace. So the Christmas story is the story of, and I want you to grasp this, the Christmas story is the story of how the God of the universe took responsibility for the flourishing of all created things by personally bringing, uh, being responsible for the pulling of all things back into the tight-knit fabric of life by enduring what no innocent man should and through the means that no one ever had being born of a virgin. That's how it started. But now we live in a time where peace is found by being left alone. Injustice is defined by who we expel. Grace is earned and explains what you get away with while always finding someone else who should be responsible for the cost of the ends in which we seek. Weird. And Paul had also lived his life. Paul knew this life well. Paul didn't start the church at Colossae, but he felt compelled to write to the church after hearing about it from his founder. Paul heard about their growing faith and wanted to warn them against things getting weird amongst their zeal. The fact that Timothy and not Barnabas um, was his co-part in writing this letter shows how quickly things can go wrong when the Christmas story becomes a license to counsel people instead of debts. So Paul wrote to the church to explain how to keep the Christmas story from being bankrupted of its meaning. Someone must be responsible. Saying that you have never hurt someone you love doesn't mean you've never hurt someone. It means that you've never loved anyone. Paul used the 
term dead in verse 13 to describe a person before them hearing the gospel story, being filled with the Holy Spirit and coming to know Jesus. Death means separation, not annihilation, which is different from the pervasive culture of our time. When people are wrong, we don't want to separate from them. As a culture, where we seek to destroy them, their lives, their careers, their families, and anyone who won't join in with us in doing the same. We seek not healthy boundaries, but penal retribution. But the Christmas story is about how God looked at wrong and he still saw his image. He still saw value. The Christmas story is about how death calls for a resurrection, which believers in Christ have. The Christmas story is about how uncircumcision calls for circumcision, which believers in Christ also have. And it came about because God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. It was told about in times of old and it was birthed in a manger. Accountability was birthed in a manger. Someone has to pay the cost. Changing plantations doesn't make one free. Paul discussed the Christian's relationship to the law because the teacher at Colossae attempted to bring Christians under the obligation of the commandments. Paul knew that such obligations was enslaving and legalistic. Legalism is any philosophy or movement that assumes God's blessings comes from keeping the law, whether Jewish law or human law. It assumes a contractual relationship whereby in one's thoughts, God can be bought by human effort. Legalism is an ever-present danger for the Christian. Both Christians and non-Christians confuse legalism with real religion. The Christmas story is about how God took on the form of a helpless babe to come and die so that through his sinless and undeserved death, the accusations placed on him um, and by them, by their former way of life, and through the damage incurred through their actions would be paid for by him so that they could be pulled back into the fabric of life once again. Jesus was not naive. He knew that a cost had to be paid. He also realized that placing a new, unattainable, unsustainable standard on people wasn't liberation. It's a rebranding of slavery. We live in a society where all too often being a Christian means that God may have forgiven you, but that you'll never do enough to earn your way back into the fabric of our community. There is a price to pay, and until you have paid it, you are not worthy of being a part of us. That's not justice. That's punishment. Rather than seeking heart change through social pressure, the Christmas story is about a God who faced social pressure for not giving up on people who fail to meet social standards. Love resuscitates what's dead, empowers the broken to heal, and gives the wayward a pathway back into healthy boundaries. Punishment highlights what's wrong, piles on what's hurt, and forbids the loss from ever returning. Jesus came to counsel separation, loneliness, guilt, and shame, not people. If your go-to method of accountability and justice pushes people away rather than pulls them in, 
then you really should question whether you are doing as much of the Lord's work as you claim. When Jesus can forgive, but we can't, we should examine if we worship a savior or have made ourselves someone else's savior because our standard has become higher and more important than Christ. We need to refocus. When forgiveness for ourselves or others has become too big of a hurdle, then we have moved from practicing Christianity to anyanity. Anyanity is something that helps to provide comfort or enjoyment. To be a Christian means that we practice Christianity and therefore find comfort and enjoyment in Christ. Christ was born to a disgraced mom and stepdad in a disgraced place, uh, raised in a disgraced hometown and hung dying naked in the most disgraceful way known to disarm his enemies. He became a curse to remove the curse and following him may mean looking foolish to walk beside someone whom everyone else thinks that we should give up on. And in that moment, like Mary, Joseph, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will have to find our comfort and enjoyment in being known and loved by our Heavenly Father. Grace gives us the forgiveness we don't deserve and the perseverance and sense of identity needed to love others how we've been loved. So, should cranberry sauce have ridges on it? Should pies be store-bought or homemade? Maybe if we truly focused on what Christmas is about, then neither of those things and many of the other things that we argue about and counsel each other over wouldn't matter nearly as much as who is not at the table with us. Because after all, that is why Jesus took on flesh. The scriptures say that God sent his only begotten son to be God with us, Emmanuel. And he would mediate in a time of peace. Hostility would be torn down. And those who were once far away from God would be brought near. What good is a holiday filled with all of our favorite things? if our home is filled with anger, contempt, and shame. Rules make captives. They don't set them free. You need heart change for that. And how our hearts change. In chapter one of the book of Colossians, Paul states that exposure to the gospel Transformation through the indwelling Holy Spirit and intimacy with Jesus are what changed the heart. So this Christmas, even if you don't know Christ, let me tell you that he knows and loves you. He came so that you may have a seat at his table if you don't have a seat at any other table in this world. He loves you more than the rule you broke. He loves you more than the social faux pas that you crashed right through. He became shame so that you can stop being ashamed of the issue in your past, your present, or your future. And he invites you 
and those who put their trust in him to dine with him for the rest of eternity as they're being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the power that only God can give. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, in a second I'm going to pray, no special words or order of words, just a prayer of thanksgiving. And I invite you to pray that prayer with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. On a day like today, we celebrate him leaving glory and taking on flesh. Not to cast out, but to bring in. Not to draw more lines, but as a sign of open arms. In a world obsessed with justice, he paid the cost. In a world that knows no peace, he is our peace. And in a world undeserving of grace, through him we find what our hearts long for. If there's anyone here today, Father, who find themselves drowning in confusion and fear and frustration, may today they find peace in you through the open invitation of placing their trust in your son. If the weight of their sins overwhelmed them, may their loads be lightened through the gift of your grace. And if the silence of shame and loneliness have become deafening. May the deaf speak. Those who have been blinded by hate see because of the love that you have brought and the blessing that we celebrate on this Christmas Eve morning. The birth of your son who would live a sinless life and die an undeserved death to pay the cost that we could not pay so that we may enjoy peace, justice, and grace as it was always meant to be. We pray these things in our darling son Jesus' name. Amen.